Mindy McKenzie has walked the walk. As the chief performance officer of Beam, she oversaw the company's $16 billion acquisition by Japan's Suntory Holdings in 2014. Widely regarded as the Velvet Hammer, Mindy was known for being a highly effective executive, but one who led her team with compassion and empathy. Now, as a coveted executive advisor and the best-selling author of The Courage Solution, Mindy joined Ivy for a discussion on courageous leadership. Among other questions, Mindy addresses why some managers are more effective than others, the right way to approach conflict in the workplace, how to strike the balance between being feared and being liked, and how to create lasting, world-changing businesses. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's purest source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor-distilled purity, pure perfection. Smartwater also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor-distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smartwater or Smartwater Sparkling today and at your local retailer. Mindy, thanks for being here today. No problem, Stacey. So, so your bio and professional resume is vast, okay? You've worked for uh, global retail giant Walmart, liquor giant Jim Beam. That was fun. I bet. <laughs> Lived all over internationally. Coach CEOs and, and advise them with your own organization. And now we find you at Carlisle Group. So tell us a little bit about that journey and what's a day in the life of Mindy look like? Oh, God. Um, this is a big question, Stacey. What's the day in the life? Uh, a good day is me uh, getting up earlier than I probably want to and uh, meditating wherever I am in a hotel room or at home in Chicago. Um, that is my secret weapon now, guys, is if I can get 20 minutes in the morning of just quiet time and stillness. Um, and then taking care of my son if I'm home in Chicago. I've got a high schooler getting them off to school and then off to the races, right? Meetings and calls and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then hopefully um, having some good wine and food with my husband and uh, ending the day and doing something meaningful. That's the good day. The bad day is when I am going like city to city, racing around and haven't eaten or drank and back-to-back -back meetings and I want to kill my thing and eventually I'm dropping the F-bomb six ways to Sunday because I'm frustrated <laughs> and I lose the plot. So, and then I go, okay, I gotta get my shit back together. Um, so it depends is the answer. Some days are great and some days are a little hairy. Like us all. That's yeah. Nice who, who, like. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> um, you have one of the coolest nicknames I think I've ever heard. They call her the Velvet Hammer. <laughs> so uh, you can, you're going to have to tell us a story about that. So that, that nickname came when I was at Jim Beam. So I was... Um, there was an executive team of 10, nine of us um, reporting to the CEO. I was the only female. Spirits industry, heavily male-dominated, and was there about a year. And at one of our work events, uh, it was after a couple bourbons, one of my colleagues came up to me and said, well, Mindy, you know what we call you, don't you? And I was like, no. And he said, we call you the Velvet Hammer. And he said, because you tell us the truth, but you do it in a way that we keep wanting the beating and coming back for more. <laughs> and I thought about it, and for a flash, I was like, should I be offended? I was like, no, this is awesome. I think this is really, really cool. And that stuck. And so, yeah, the Velvet Hammer. <laughs> I love it. So let's talk about authenticity, one of the things you're uh, known for. 
How do you manage being authentic in corporate America without being labeled as too aggressive? I think those things are two very separate things, actually, Stacy. I don't, I don't see being authentic or courageous or being straightforward as equivalent to being aggressive. Aggressiveness comes from a really self-centered, narcissistic, pushy place. It's not coming from a place of grace. And, and grace is a big word, but I think this idea of when we are being our best self and then we speak what we believe to be the truth about something or challenge someone else or we're direct or we hand or we lean into like a conflict or something, that is not being aggressive at all. That, and I think there's a, a very big difference. One of the checks that I do um, with myself, and any of you guys here into yoga or soul cycle or chi or meditation, raise your hand if you guys are into any of that. All right, so you all know what chi is, it's energy. And so a good way to check ourselves, and this is what I do with myself, is I say to myself after a particular conversation or a meeting, did I suck energy from that exchange or did I give energy? And when you are checking in and, and trying to make sure that you are giving energy that, and then you're being authentic and you're not trying to be fake or whatever and, and not being a chi sucker, which is no fun, um, we all know who the chi suckers are in our life, then I think it works. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of talking about this before. We seem to live in a day and age where everyone has these like social media personas, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to sometimes pivot from uh, what we're portraying outwardly in our, in our personal lives and being more authentic daily and especially translating that into our professional lives. Right. So what are your thoughts around that? <laughs> how, how can we be more authentic in a world that's constantly pushing kind of fake images of perfection? Right. All right, our perfect meal, our, you know, yeah. all of that. When we look so great, we only take pictures and share those of when we're having our best moments or we look awesome and our hair's done and everything. Um, I think that's part of the challenge with authenticity because everybody's so busy capturing, like, every moment and trying to portray this sense of um, perfection and everything. It's like this, you know, Kim Kardashian, you know, thing, right? You know, and I... I actually think this is an issue that has always been around for humans pre-social media, Stacy, but it's so, so more so much more prevalent today because we do capture all of our moments, and we like to capture our moments, and we have a good meal, and we take a picture, we're in this special spot. The problem with that is then when we have those dark night of the soul, the bad days, the days when we're feeling a lot of dissonance, or we are not at our best, looking like crap, I haven't worked out, I had that extra bucket of popcorn last night, um, and do things that, you know, we think, oh, I shouldn't have done, then we don't know how to handle it because we're so used to portraying something that is opposite of that. And I think we do ourselves a great disservice. Um, I, for one, don't, I try not to post a lot. I get a lot of advice from editors and publishers and people and managers and stuff. Um, to do more, mm -hmm. and I know I'm really bad because I should be pumping shit out, but to me it feels, um, I don't, I feel self-promotional. I don't, I don't like it. And then I always think, who the fuck cares, sorry, <laughs> cares about, like, what I'm doing, whether I'm, tr you know, trekking through the mountains in Colorado. Nobody cares. Like, how is that beneficial for them? How is that giving chi to anybody else? Um, and, but then there's pressure to have a brand. Yeah, definitely. And then here's the other thing. 
Then the flip side, and you guys are well past this, but we have, my, my husband and I have four kids between 23 and 15, and um, that personal brand then can impact their professional life. And, you know, we all know it, because what do we all do? We're all hiring people, right, all the time. What do you do now? You go check out their social media. And so it's, uh, it's kind of a dangerous game. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about male and female entrepreneurs and the differences. Um, in 2016, there was a survey that was done um, looking at venture capitalists. And um, of that, $1.5 billion in 2016 was raised by female CEOs, where a whopping $64.9 billion was raised by their male counterparts. Do you think that there's something that's really contributing to this? Aside from the math? Yeah. <laughs> there's less chicks, people. Um, and now that I'm in the private equity world, anybody here in private equity? I used to be in the car office. You did? What did you do? What's your name? Um, Sai. I used to work for Lori Sabet. Oh, I know Lori. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I used to do uh, workday financials and HR. Okay. All right. How long were you there? Uh, for almost three years. Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to talk after. Yeah. Um, yeah, listen. I mean, we all know about the financial industry, in particular private equity. There's very few female. I think the latest stats um, that I've heard, there's like 7%. So when you think about uh, fundraising for these large funds, just the law of the ratio of the math is not going to be great. Um, it shouldn't be, though, a prologue for the future. And I have the benefit of working for one of the most senior females in private equity, Sandra Horbach, and she's just a rock star, but she's a rare rock star. And, and um, it's one of the reasons that I um, went to Carlisle is because she is a rarity and she's the co-head of the largest fund at the Carlisle Group. And as that fund goes, so goes the profitability of the firm. So it's very cool reporting to a female, and by the way, the first female I've ever reported to in my entire career, I'm ashamed to say. Um, but yeah, there's just not as many women out there fundraising. Yeah. She just raised an $18 billion fund. That's huge. So the numbers have to shift yeah. the next time they cut those. No, absolutely. <laughs> need women uh, you know, donating and loaning to yeah. women funding their projects. Absolutely. Um, that actually is a nice segue to talk about your, the culmination of kind of your life's work and um, the new summit that you guys are going to be putting on this fall, So, uh, which is for women. But I think that you... Uh, You've a lot to share about that. What is your, your goal in putting on this leadership summit? So uh, when I wrote uh, the book, The Courage Solution, a couple years ago and it came out, uh, I got a lot of feedback from people that they wanted to go deeper and more. Because in the book, it's in, it's in four sections. And there's a section, how to deal with your direct reports, how to deal with your boss, how to deal, deal with your peers. But the first section of the book is called You First. And it's all about getting clear and clean with yourself and being courageous with yourself first before you ever start down a path of being courageous with other people. And uh, someone that was in an audience, they'd read the book, and they came to this, some event, and they said, we need Mindy Camp. And um, it sparked me to go, OK, because I've had this idea that I want to do something more in-depth for people. And so this September, I'm launching You First, an Integrative Leadership Summit. 15 women of influence in Colorado. And, um, and what's been interesting about launching that is that uh, I've had a ton of men now um, email me and say, Mindy, get that you're doing the chicks first, totally get it, rock on, and 
can you do one for men in 2019? So I'm going to do that. So, um, and that's pretty exciting too. Uh, but this is, what's important to me about this offering in particular, Stacy, is that I think all of us need time and space to anchor back into where we're at in our life journey, not just our professional journey. And that does take some stillness and some awareness and some unplugging and some asking ourselves some bigger questions so that we can recenter. It's like taking your car for an oil change, right? You just periodically, you gotta do it to keep the machine running. And that's how I think about this experience. Um, so I'm really excited and uh, uh, this is to me what matters. Don't tell the people at Carlisle, but um, I did negotiate this in when I joined the Carlisle group. I said, I'm happy to come work for you as long as I can do my passion project, which is helping to really increase the corporate tribe's sense of not only impact, but personal fulfillment, because I think that can go hand in hand. I think that we can have great impact at work, but feel really personally fulfilled. Okay, well then, I know that that's kind of one of your mantras, right? Mm -hmm. The personal fulfillment leading to more professional impact. So um, outside of the, the 15 women that get to go with you on this, this summit and, yep. and probably more in the coming years, what are some things that we can do to, to start uh, living our lives on purpose in that way so that we can get that, that personal fulfillment at work and, and leading to more professional impact? Well, I've got one tool for you. You guys want to do an activity really quick? Yeah? Okay, get your phones out. Never thought you'd hear that, did you? <laughs> it's like, usually put the phones down. All right, we're going to do something called the life scale. This activity is going to take us three, three and a half minutes. That's it. But you can do this on an airplane. You can do this in the bathroom. You can do this once a month. But you only do this once a month. And this is something I've been doing now for 10 years. Unfortunately, I did not come up with this, but a coach and mentor of mine in Australia um, shared this with me. But it is super, super powerful. So heart, mind, body, spirit, four quadrants. So in your phone, put heart, mind, body, spirit. Type that out. And while you're doing that, I'm going to explain the quadrants. They're going to be fairly self-evident. And then we're going to walk through the exercise. Heart is all your romantic and love relationships. These are your friends, your family, your lovers, all of those people and relationships that fill your soul up. Mind is your profession. This is where your job sits, all the relationships that you have at work. This is where your intellectual pursuits sit, um, anything that sparks that part of your life. Body is your health and well-being, fuel, rest, um, renewal, all that sits there. And spirit is the soul stuff around community, service, religion, mindfulness practices, any spiritual practices. Okay, got it? All right. Who's got a phone to time? 60 seconds. I need a 60-second timer. Yes? All right. Awesome. All right. You're going to spend the next 60 seconds privately capturing everything that is working well for you in these four quadrants. If there's nothing working for you right now, not how you should feel, but how you do feel today in this moment, just capture that. So you might have an empty quadrant. What's working for you now? Take one minute, 60 seconds. Go. bit of what they're going to get at the summit. Oh, we're doing this stuff on crack. Yeah. This is...
Okay, that's about 60 seconds. Some of you are still typing, some of you are kind of like done and crying. It's okay. Um, we're gonna talk about what to do about that in just two seconds. There's gonna, there is going to be satisfaction. Okay, the next 60 seconds you're gonna do the reverse. I want you to go back up and telling yourself the truth. This is mirror time. What is not working for you right now? What's broken? What's, where is there dissonance or dis, disruption upset? in any of those four quadrants. So go back and capture what's not working. 60 seconds, go. This seems like a very therapeutic exercise. It is. Yeah. I do it every month. Yeah. Really? 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. You guys depressed? You go okay? Hanging in? All right. The third step is the most important step. You've only spent two minutes on this and about 30 seconds of the upfront, right? So this is fast. You're going to spend the next minute and you're going to look at what you've written and you're going to choose one quadrant. Now this is important. Not two, not three, not four. You guys are all members of a group, which means that you, of this fantastic, I love the Ivy group. It means you're overachievers, you're learning to learn more, you're intellectually curious, you're all about you know, doing more and learning more and being more. This is the time to roll that shit back, people. <laughs> I want you to choose one quadrant and choose one thing that you can do for yourself, yourself, not what you need to be doing for anybody else, in the next 30 days. So an example for me, the last time I did this a couple weeks ago, my deal was I'm going to give myself eight hours of sleep a night for the next 30 days, and I'm going to monitor that, okay? Because that was, for me, I just, I need that. It's so, so very basic, right? So this is not the time to choose to go on a diet, run five miles a day, start a club, and ask your boss for a raise. This is not that deal, okay? Look at what you've written and really kind of try to get quiet in yourself and say, what could be one kind fueling thing I can do for myself the next 30 days that will drive my personal fulfillment. Okay, go. Stand up when you're done. Okay, yellow, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being really, really, really easy and one being really, really hard, how, yell out a number, how hard or easy was it for you to do that third step? Five. Six. 
Right. Okay, y'all sit down. You said every number. <laughs> and that would, be, that would be right. Here's the secret about this life scale. This is called the life scale. And you step on it, not every day. You step on it once a month. And the reason you step on it, you don't need to journal. You don't need to do any. It's not a big drama. You can do it in your phone. And like I said, you can do it anywhere. But the idea here is that you get in tune with yourself and you take a measure of how you're really feeling about the areas that matter. And then you choose something with intention to drive your own fulfillment. And so what are you doing? You're taking ownership for your experience. You're choosing something. And then you do your best to give yourself that gift over the next month. And it is that simple and it is that hard. A lot of executives and people that I do this very simple, I've had CEOs cry, right? Why? And I mean that sincerely because they're so disconnected, they can't remember a time where they actually plugged into themselves to see what was really going on. People don't feel like they can give themselves permission when you're working hard, you're trying to achieve, you might get married, kids, you've got all these demands. And when you're high achieving and you're trying to contribute and you're climbing the corporate ladder, you're doing all of these things, you can forget some of these more basic. It sounds really simple, and it is simple. It's hard to do. Um, but this is one tool, I have Stacy been doing this for over 10 years, every month, and it doesn't mean I do it perfectly. So I'm not, I haven't gotten eight hours of sleep every night for the last, you know, a couple weeks, but more nights than not I have, and I'm making choices. I chose not to watch This Is Us binge watching um, <laughs> last night, and I put myself to bed. Like, you know, those moments, and you, you kind of anchor yourself where you could choose to go and do, and do something else. Well, don't so. get crazy. This I, know. Awesome. Like, I know I'm That's late a to big that ask. party, by the way. I get it. Um, I'm starting at the beginning. <laughs> Well, um, we've talked a lot about being authentic with ourselves, and that's yep. a really valuable tool. Um, I want to look at us being authentic in the workplace. Okay. So do you find with all the different organizations you've worked with, there's like this growing multi-generation, gener, gener, generations? Like, I'll stop there. With millennials, you have Gen X, Gen Y. There's all these consultants coming in and coaching organizations on how to integrate these different, uh, you know, people, right? And working yep. side by side. So do you find that you have to change that direct, straightforward approach depending on which demographic, speaking of generation, that you're working with, coaching, leading? Uh, no. And what I would say is the velvet hammer moniker might imply um, always direct all the time, but actually that's not the case. There's a spectrum of directness to diplomacy, and I'm always conscious of uh, that, like what does this person need, how can they hear best, because my whole deal on courage and authenticity is it's only useful if somebody can receive the message you're transmitting, right, and being direct um, might not be as effective as being more diplomatic to convey the message. And so I don't know that there's a generational um, lens. I don't think about it that way, actually. Mm -hmm. I think about it much more of what's the context of the situation that I find myself in um, and what's the kind of energy of this exchange. I know that sounds goofy, but um, you can tell when, you know, people aren't in EQ, a great, yes, great place. And, and, you know, some people are super high ego, and that can be... Um, a lot of the old white males that I deal with all the time. 
um, and or not. And so you have to choose how you're going to land certain messages, right? Um, so I think it's much more about just being mindful about who the person is you're talking to and how best can they receive what you want to say versus making it about you and go, I got a message to drop here and I'm going to, and then go, hmm. You know, too bad, it didn't land. No, actually, that's not useful. You might have that momentary satisfaction of having, I spoke my truth. But nobody heard it, <laughs> and they couldn't act on it. So it's not really that helpful. So <laughs> Absolutely. So it seems like the more senior you become in a role, the more yes men and yes women that you have around you, right? Um, no one wants to poke the bear. Everyone just yeah. tells you your ideas are great and super innovative, so and everything's wonderful. Yep. Um, yep. But how do you then implement and help to build a culture of authenticity with your employees while still managing that level of respect, right? Because I think we've all had some bosses that are almost like too fun and they don't get a lot done because that respect is dropped because you look at them as someone that you can hang out with on the weekends. Right. Um, so how do you manage that? Um, my first rule of thumb is always leave at midnight. If you're the boss, be the boss, know you're the boss, and that means that behavior um, standards are different. And so <laughs> nothing good happens after midnight. Zip your lip, <laughs> put that glass of wine down, and walk out because it ain't going to help your reputation any, and it's not good, right? And so it's that kind of thing our parents, I don't know if your parents ever said that to you, come walk home by midnight because there's, you know, there's value to that idea <laughs> in the workplace. And the other thing is is that, this kind of sounds weird, but I'm really, really close to virtually everybody that has ever worked for me. There's a couple people that are outliers that never want to speak to me again. Um, but by and large, I'm very close. Like, they're an extended part of my family. I love them. And when I was their leader and their boss, I was not their friend. When you lead, you, your job, you are paid to make decisions, to make tough choices, to create an environment where people can contribute and thrive. And while you can socialize and be collegial and collaborative, your job is not to be friends with those people. It doesn't mean that you don't love them, care about them, a whole personness, but that is a huge mistake. And that's why, like, you know, leave at midnight. And imagine that in the spirits business, right? Where we, I had a bar in my office, by the way, guys. So we were drinking at three. Like, you know, a little tequila. We had tequila, whiskey, but it was awesome. Anyway, um, but uh, and in fact, the irony of it is we had less issues around alcohol and misbehavior for the five years I worked at Beam than I did at other companies because everybody was just so used to being responsible mm -hmm. about being around, being around it. Um, but, you know, go home. Use judgment. Think, you know, would I want my boss acting this way? You know, just, uh you know, it's, if it feels cringy, don't do it. And the other thing I would say is then, but that's not about putting yourself on a pedestal or being unreachable. This realness you're talking about, how do you keep it authentic and real and make sure that, you know, you're not smoking your own fumes? How many of you are in charge? Have people working for you in here? Yeah. Okay. So um, none of us at Lead People are that great, right? We have lots of flaws as, as uh, much as we think we're awesome. One of the ways to stay in touch and in tune with your direct reports, um, this is something else I've always done with my direct reports, is every month I ask one question with one follow-up. And the question is this. Let's imagine, Stacey, you work for me. <laughs> Stacey, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being fabulous and 1 being lousy, how would you rate our relationship right now? Oh, 10. 
right? <laughs> and they all lie at first. It takes a couple months, right? Yeah, Usually right. the favorite number is seven. Okay, yeah. Seven, because we're not, it doesn't mean yeah. anything. Um, <laughs> and so you say, okay, you know, why do you feel that way, blah, blah. And then here's the mic drop second question that's really important. What can I do differently, Stacy, to move our relationship toward a 10? That's now, a good question. here's the deal. If you're going to do this and use this tool and it's super powerful, um, you have to be willing to hear the response and you have to mean it when you ask it because the worst thing you can do is ask this and then not follow through or do anything. Now, it doesn't mean, Stacy might say, I need to see you every day because I can't start my day without downloading and everything that happened the previous night. That's not going to work well yeah. for me because um, that's not how it's going to roll. So you have to be willing to say, listen, I, I'm not willing to do that, but I'm willing to do this, right? So you're, gonna, you're inviting an open, courageous conversation. But if you have a habit as a leader every month of checking in with your direct reports and creating um, an authentic, overused word, but um, environment for them to tell you the truth about what's going on, you're never going to be caught off guard. You're never going to be surprised. If you act on what they say, um, and, it, and it's the right thing for you and them, I mean, it's powerful. And I've had CEOs go, I'm not asking this question. You know, I hate this. And yet these same CEOs like, Mindy, I never know, you know, and then I get my engagement surveys and they hate me. I'm like, dude, like <laughs> you can check in and ask, but yeah. it, it is going to require courage and vulnerability. So um, that is, I believe, the secret recipe though, whatever tool or way it manner in which you choose, I do feel like you have to be willing to be appropriately vulnerable with the people that you lead and serve um, so that you are role modeling what that looks like. Because how can you, how many of you guys who led, are lead people, lead leaders of others? Raise your hand. Yeah, right. How can you hold your, what's your name in the purple tie and the gray suit up front? Nick. Nick. Nick, how can you possibly hold your direct reports accountable for their leadership behavior and how they're role modeling if you're not doing that yourself. You can't, right? It, so um, so this, that's just one way um, for staying in tune with your people. Ask and care, check in, um, and then listen. See what they say. So if we turn that on its head, yep. would you say it's much of the same if you are the employee how do you engage in some of those tough conversations? Maybe you're, you're wanting to talk about salary. Maybe you're upset about some tensions in the office or employee morale's down. How would they then go about being very authentic? With their boss? Yeah, the big, absolutely. Don't be asking them on a scale of one to 10, boss. How would you? Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, listen, you have to earn the right to have tough conversations with your bosses. Performance is your passport to permission. That's just the way it is. If you're a cheese-sucking, whiny butt who it's always about you, I don't care how valid your feedback is, your boss has every right to ignore it. Because you haven't behaved your way to a point that when you want to push back and challenge and give a tough message, that it can possibly be received with a positive intent that you want to give it, right? And and so that's where, I mean, and this is very unpopular. I've, I've had, sometimes when I guest lecture at Kellogg, <laughs> that's not fair, Mindy, because if I'm right, I should be able to tell the boss, and I don't like the hire. I'm sorry, dude. 
You gotta earn the right. May, if you haven't delivered the goods, performed, show that you're all about the business, show that you're all about making your boss successful and contributing and have a track record of delivery, keep your opinions to yourself. Because they have a bigger job than you do, they have more accountability, they have more pressure, they have more performance expectations on them. You can't possibly know what your boss is dealing with. And your job is to help them do their, their job better. And that's, again, not a popular notion, right? And if you have that mindset and you're performing and then you want to go and have that tough conversation, that ground is fertile, right? That ground is fertile. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that they're not going to, you know, bristle or whatever. But you've earned the right. Yeah. And it makes a huge difference. Um, is this, I, I know some of you are looking at me like, eh, I don't like that. Um, I, it, yeah, it's not popular. It's not a popular point of view. So, <laughs> so you, um, you've worked with, obviously, a lot of CEOs. Um, yeah. And I'm sure there's many more that you admire. Um, in looking at the most authentic leaders, uh, who are some of them that you admire? And what are the things that they do uniquely in the space of leadership? I'm going to name names. I do. Um, Put it out there. <laughs> well, OK, my favorite CEO is dead. Um, but uh, Sam Walton is my um, is one of my role models, and I got to Walmart three four years after he had passed away. So it sound, sounds kind of weird, but um, I read his book, and I'd come into this organization where the culture is so strong, and the culture of servant leadership that Sam Walton established in Walmart lives on to this day. And his whole philosophy, if you read his book, Made in America, if you talk to any of the leaders who worked with him in the multi-generation, it is all about coaching by walking around, removing obstacles for the people, being out on the front lines, in the stores, not sitting back in your ivory tower in your offices with expensive office supplies. You know, like, it's all about living the mission and being out with the people who are doing the real work. And I grew up in business there. And it's so soaked into my DNA. I, I love that philosophy. And that's when you have a, if you have a leader who has a servant leadership mentality, and then you have associates who are all about making their boss and the business successful, that's like nirvana, right? Because then everybody's you know, coming to the middle, and it's about everybody else um, versus people being selfish pigs, which is no fun to work with. That was not, you guys are all like, Never. <laughs> Never me. Um, I mean, listen, we're all selfish and self-centered. That's human nature. But, yeah, Sam Walton, he is uh, hes somebody that I, I really admire. Um, I want to be really careful because my job is to help CEOs. Uh, so I don't, and this is being live streamed, so I'm, I'm going to be talking about more dead people. Um, <laughs> there are aspects of of, I believe, every leader that you work for that you can learn from, even if what you're learning, uh, even if what you're learning from the person is what not to be. And, I mean, my first boss in corporate America was an absolute nightmare, and his name was Bubba. Um, and uh, I do believe he's still alive, but he's not in the business world, so I feel fine. But, I mean, he was an absolute nightmare. And the biggest lesson I learned was everything I never wanted to be at work. And that was a huge lesson. Now, it didn't make it any less painful in the moment, but it was good, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's stuff you can capture. What about you? Who's your favorite leader? 
Um, I would say my boss, Kevin Bacon. He's amazing. Is he? He's a great leader. Ooh, yeah. drop some like, uh, like what's his deal? <laughs> um, no, I mean, we are using this word a lot, but he's authentic and uh, really passionate about the things he cares about and um, really cares about his family and, mm -hmm. and puts them first above all things. And so yeah. I learned a lot from that, so yeah. Do you ever like play the footloose theme? Um, <laughs> I'm so like fan my generation, like like he was like the um, No, I'd like to keep my job. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't go over well. No, no. Um, <laughs> so I have one more question before I turn it out to the audience. I know okay. that there's probably some questions in here. Um, we all know that some of the most successful CEOs have one thing in common, which is that they're continuing um, to educate themselves and reading tenaciously. Like you said, you love reading a lot as well. Yep. So what are um, a few either podcasts or books that you would say that we, we should be putting on our list for 2018? Oh, okay. T any Tim Ferriss fans in the house? Love him. <gasps> Tools of yeah, I totally love Tim. Like every Amazing. time I listen to a podcast or read yep. his books or whatever, mm -hmm. Love him. Anybody never heard of Tim Ferriss? Raise your hands. Let me see. Okay. Go just Google yes. him. Subscribe. He's fantastic. I always feel inspired yeah. and provoked. Yeah. And like he's Have you just... read Tools, Tools of Titans? I haven't it's, read that. It's on my nightstand. It's like this thick. It's well, amazing. and then he's got Tribe of Mentors, mm -hmm. which is just like this juicy bit. And then I did yeah. do the four-hour body and the four-hour work week. Clearly, it didn't take. <laughs> um, I want to know if anybody did the ice packs on the back of their neck in an effort to lose weight. I see one hand up. Yes, right? that was good right? for you. Um, that's Tim Ferriss. He's crazy man. Um, I love him. Anybody know Marie Forleo? Oh, I've got a few. I actually really enjoy Marie Forleo. Her whole mission, gang, is to help you build a business and life that you love. And she's more entrepreneurial, but she interviews like great people and, and um, really thought-provoking, and her stuff drops in my email. Um, Ryan Holiday. Anybody familiar with Ryan? Anybody read Ego is the Enemy? Yeah! Okay, that's the book I want everybody right. to read, except for mine, uh, in addition to mine. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> totally. That was supposed to be a joke. You know what? I think I did because I, I was going to try to see him, but I leave Thursday, and he's doing his book. Isn't he doing a book thing? Yeah, Thursday. Thursday night, yeah. Yep, I know. I'm missing him. I love him. I always think, do you guys get his uh, monthly newsletter? Yes. Okay, so he is so smart and he reads voraciously and he comes out with some really great recommendations on books to read, stuff that I would never think about. So he's thought provoking. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, is that too good. much? No, I was going to say good. Vogue magazine. It's probably Vogue. not helpful. On <laughs> um, <laughs> the shallow end of the pool. Um, Absolutely. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? 
It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's pure source of water. Smart Water copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor-distilled purity, pure perfection. Smart Water also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor-distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smart Water or Smart Water Sparkling today and at your local retailer.